mean, there's plenty of work and money and customers and opportunities for everybody in the industry. So there doesn't need to be that intense competitiveness. And I can't share with you because you'll take my secrets and use them. I always try to come across it, you know, to help and to share my knowledge and to share my connections with other people. And when I find like a woman that needs help, I try to help because we're stronger together. And we're stronger as a community if we band together and don't fight with each other. You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries. A community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Glossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Femcanics, I want to hear from you and get your feedback. I want to know what you like or don't like about the podcast. You can leave a message by calling 614-636-2240. Again, it's 614-636-2240. Leave me a message and who knows, you might hear yourself on the podcast. Jill Trotta is in the driver's seat today. She is a seasoned veteran in the automotive industry with over 25 years of knowledge and experience. From an auto repair technician to a service manager to owning her own shop, she's done it all. Join us on this episode as Jill talks about how she acquired her expertise and how she made sure she was paid every dollar she deserved. Hello, Femcanics. This is Jamie B coming to you, and I have Jill Trotta in the driver's seat today. How are you doing today, Jill? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for spending some time with the Femcanic Garage community. You bring a wealth of knowledge to the community, over 25 years worth of experience in various roles, not only from a shop perspective, but a corporate perspective and a startup perspective. You can have experience clear across the board. And I was blessed enough to be able to sit and have dinner with you and meet you at the Women in Automotive Conference, which I'm going to pick your brain about that a little bit because you received one of the most prestigious awards that they offer there, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Why don't we start in the beginning and kind of give a high-level view of what got you into the business and kind of just a little bit of a career progression, and then we'll dive into some of the current events. Absolutely. So I didn't start out to become a mechanic, and my family wasn't into working on cars or anything. I did have an uncle who owned a garage. And he kind of got me into it in a roundabout way. I graduated from college and have a degree in recreational therapy, which is completely unrelated. And I owned a Volkswagen Bug. And this Volkswagen Bug kept breaking down. And my uncle bought me the Idiot's Guide to Volkswagen Repair. And he, even though he owned a shop, he wouldn't fix my car for me. He would make me fix the car. And after many times of it breaking down one night, I wasn't happy with what I was doing. I was working at a home for um, developmentally disabled adults. And it just, it was a great profession. It just wasn't me. 
and I was watching TV one night and a TV commercial came on and said, you too can become an automotive technician. So I did. And I went to school. I did an 18-month program in nine months, graduated second in my class and uh, launched into my career. Geez, you didn't waste any time. No. (laughs) Do you know how many stories I've heard that start with, I had a VW and it kept breaking down. So like VW should seriously get a lot of credit for female technicians (laughs) because females tend to have an affinity for VWs, whether it's the bug or the golf or the. Yeah. And they break down. (laughs) And if you have an old school bug, it's not hard to fix. I used to fix that thing with pantyhose as a belt, um, you know, JB Weld to make my spark plug stay in, just all kinds of craziness. Oh my gosh, the pantyhose. I don't think I've heard that one yet. That's awesome. If the belt breaks off, because the Volkswagens have the shim that you have to shim the belt. Well, if the belt breaks off, and you don't have a new belt. One time I had a pair of pantyhose and I wrapped it around there and it got me like 20 miles. The the innovation of a female. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So that's how, kind of how I got into it. And then I went to trade school, much to the chagrin of my father. He was not happy. I'd graduated from college and I was going to have this career in, uh, you know, helping people and It just didn't work out for me that way. (laughs) But it's worked out for me in the long run, for sure. Absolutely. So that got you through college. Now, you finished an 18-month program in nine months. What did you do after that? Um, I went to work at a Chevy dealer in Southern California. And I did that for a period of a few months. And then I moved back to the Bay Area. And there were two pretty prominent female shop owners at the time. One was Marilyn Brown, who owned Auto Motion in San Francisco, and Pam Spence, who owned um, Phoenix Auto in Oakland. I started out working for Pam. Actually, I started out working for Marilyn, and I worked there for about a year, and then ended up leaving, and then was working at a little smog shop in Oakland. And Pam Spence, who was at the time like a goddess, you know, she was the premier female shop owner in the area, walked into where I was working and said, you don't need to be working here. Come talk to me. That is awesome. Were you just like jumping out of your skin? I was because she was kind of if you were a mechanic in that at that time, she was kind of a celebrity. Now, what was she known for? She was like one of the only female owned shops in the area. So there were in the Bay Area at that time, which was the early 90s, there was Phoenix Auto, there was Automotion, and Grandma's Garage. Phoenix and Grandma's Garage is still around. Really? Uh-huh. That is cool. Yeah. And the funny thing was, you would think they would all get along. Those They all feuded. So when I went from Automotion to Phoenix, it was like I was a defector. Oh, wow. Do you think that's still the case in the industry? You know, I think women in general are very competitive. And I think in certain communities, yeah, I do think that there's that competitiveness and it doesn't need to exist. It's a huge industry and there's enough for everybody. There is. There is so much. It almost creates the perspective of scarcity. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, And there's just so much. There, there's there's plenty of everything. And just when you think there's not enough, somehow we, we find something else. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, there's plenty of work and money and customers and opportunities 
for everybody yes in the yes. industry so there doesn't need to be that intense competitiveness and you I can't share with you because you'll take my secrets and use them I always can't try to come across it you know to help and to share my knowledge and to share my connections with other people and when I find like a woman that needs help I try to help because we're stronger together and we're stronger as a community if we band together and don't fight with each other. I so agree with you. So you were a technician in various shops for how long then? Um, I worked as an actual technician for probably six, seven years. And then once you moved on from that role, what role did you go into? So then I moved into, Pam moved me into being a service advisor, service manager in the front of the shop. And the reason for her doing that was she said, when you're 40 years old, you're not going to want to be bent over the hood of a car and you'll make more money if you run the place. True statement. And and that proved to be true. Now, I have always maintained my automotive knowledge. I've always maintained my ASC certifications. So I've always kept up just because that background knowledge is a lot of times a differentiating factor between me and someone else. That when I'm in the front, I can sell it, I can explain it, and I really deeply understand it. And I have the ability to explain it to other people. Makes sense. And and yeah. especially with all the new technology that's coming out, mm-hmm. the number of computers that are on cars right now is just, if you would have said it 20 years ago, how many computers are on the car today, it's kind of mind boggling. Oh, yeah. I mean, cars are like, they're mechanical, but they're mostly computer driven these days. Yeah. You know, they're a rolling computer. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, it... It's super cool and a little scary. So mm-hmm. my, my dad had one of those progressive snapshots oh, yeah. plugged into his, um, I don't know. The what telematics device. Yeah, yeah. And it fried his computer. Oh, it, it his, did? Wow. Yeah. And he's like, what is going on? It, his targeted his transmission. But when my dad started researching it, I think he said there's literally thousands of cases like that. And when yeah. he when he called Progressive, they offered almost immediately to settle with him. Yeah. I'm like, what? So it's it's crazy cool. And if we don't pay attention to what we plug into them and not test things thoroughly. Oh, yeah. You got to pay attention to that stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's your data. And you got to be careful who you share it with. Right, right. Yeah, and and now they're they're even moving to hey, you don't have to plug in anything in, just download an app on your phone. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really starting to evolve and gets interesting. Yeah, and I think that evolution is happening faster than regulation. I so agree with you, and that's part of the reason why I don't like doing it. I won't download those apps, and I won't do that. And I like to speed a little bit, but yeah. Um, that that's never a good thing for yeah. insurance purposes. <laughs> yeah, you don't want them to be able to uh, plug right in. Right, that. right, right. Um, well, when I worked a, literally a mile away from my house, it's like, yeah, I'll plug it in. I don't care. But mm-hmm. now that I have like a 30-minute drive, it's like, nah, <laughs> I'm going to yeah, pass. No, <laughs> no. They're so, not offering discounts significant enough for that. Right, right, exactly. 
So now you're in the front of the shop. How long were you in that role? Um, I was in that role for 15, 16 years. I moved around. So from there, I left and I went to a GM dealer and I was an assistant service manager for GM for a while. I went to Honda, worked for Honda as assistant service manager for a while. And then I went to work for a high-performance BMW tuner, Dynan Engineering. And I worked there for five years. And then I went back to dealerships and, and went to BMW. And then I met a woman and joined a team and opened my own shop with her. So we opened it as a group. Nice. What was the name of the shop? It was called Lady Parts Automotive. Cool. <laughs> okay, I have to ask because you've hit many different makes. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite make based on your experience? BMW by the by far. Why? When I worked at Dynan Engineering, I learned a lot about BMWs uh-huh. and they just drive nice. I like the way they drive. I like the styling. They're comfortable. I think BMWs are just cool. Now that being said, I don't currently have one. I've, I had one for years. I love the older E36 body style convertibles, um, which is like the 90s. I like those right now. I currently have, which is my favorite car I've ever owned, is a Toyota Mirai, and it is a hydrogen vehicle. It's powered by hydrogen, which is only available in the Bay Area. Oh, that's fascinating. I, yeah, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, I'm not sure, where would you even fill that up across if you drove cross country? You couldn't. I can't. I can drive from here to the Mexican border, like San Diego area. I can drive to Tahoe and around, like in that area, like. You know, but other than that, you there's not infrastructure right now. They're building it in Hawaii and they're building infrastructure between Boston and New York. But, you know, Toyota and Honda and Hyundai have vehicles in production right now. And it is just cool. It gets about 300 miles to the tank and it emits water out the exhaust only. And I love the car. But again, it's not really a car. It's a piece of technology and it's a rolling computer wow that sounds fascinating I've, how does it handle not like how does it go around turns right but like giddy up oh yeah well at its core it's an electric car so electric cars have tons of torque they actually have to yes. limit it yes so it's fast it's quick it has great acceleration now that being said you want to limit is that because you will use your hydrogen really fast but it's just it's it's an amazing piece of technology. And I, I truly believe that hydrogen technology is the future rather than plug-ins. Really? But we, that's a whole nother thing we could go on. Yeah. Well, but maybe we'll tap on that in just a moment. Yeah. I, I want to get through the career part. So yeah. just because the listeners can start to really understand the plethora of experience that you have. Yeah. And I've worked in parts and service. I was the assistant parts director for Mercedes-Benz of San Francisco when Smart launched into the U.S. So I was a part of the whole launching the little smart car into the U.S. market. Um, So that was fun. That was my only foray out of service. And then I went back. And then after my shop, um, I left because of just disputes with my business partner and went to a mini dealer in San Francisco where I realized like after B 
being a part of this shop that was all about like consumers and helping people and doing the right thing that when I went back to the dealership, I just couldn't do it. It was just soul crushing. So I was actually on my way out of the automotive industry. I was kind of done, didn't want to do it anymore. Um, the daily consumer facing auto industry and had, I was headed toward being the fleet manager for Avis budget rental car. Cause I was like, Oh, that's kind of a cushy corporate job. Use my car knowledge, but it's a little bit different. And then I, at the last minute, I saw an ad on Craigslist that said, are you an ASC certified master technician who wants to do something different? And I, I looked at that ad and I was like, yeah, I am. And um, it was RepairPal. Talk a little bit about RepairPal for those who may not know what it is. So we have the largest facing consumer website on the internet that focuses on auto repair. We get about 7 million site visitors a month that come to our site. And we have a fair price estimator for auto repair. And we have a network of the best shops in the country. So we have 2,700 shops that we've thoroughly vetted. And then we drive traffic to those shops um, from, you know, from 7 million site visitors to CarMax to USAA to Verizon. They all drive their consumers to our shops. Wow, that is just massive. Yeah, so I joined there as the subject matter expert and somebody to lead the certification effort and establish what was a quality shop and how to vet them. So you were in the forefront of when they launched this. Yeah, when I came on, there was about 100 shops in the network and we just received funding to be able to um, continue. Basically, when I came on, I was told we got a year. I'd never been in that kind of environment before. And um, I decided I was, there was only like 12 people there. And I decided that that sounded like a good thing. (laughs) Right. Right. Sometimes less is more. Yeah. So I joined and the rest is history. I'm in my seventh year. Are you still loving it? I I love it more every day. And now we have 2,700 shops and huge partners and 60 employees and a lot of industry presence. Wow. What's been your proudest career accomplishment? I think winning the 2017 Women of Excellence for Women in Auto Care. And help help the listeners understand what that organization is and what that really means. So Women in Auto Care is a, a branch of the Auto Care Association and it's a group of women in the industry. And it's, we have conferences a couple of times a year and everybody gets together. And the one thing that makes it so different is everybody, when they walk in that room, hangs up their professional hats and shows up for each other, for to mentor each other, to help each other, to give each other advice and encouragement. I actually goal set for myself from conference to conference. And I talk about like what I want to accomplish in the next six months at those conferences. And then there's people in there that hold me accountable. My mentor is, my official mentor is Tammy Tecklenburg, and she's the president of Women in Auto Care. And the reason why I chose Tammy as my mentor and I chose her is because when I walked into the room, she was the person who intimidated me the most. Ooh, I like that. That's brilliant. uh, Yeah, and I thought, there's a reason why she's intimidates me. And like, I don't think I'd ever said more than hi to her when I, before I called her to ask her to be my mentor. What did she do when you asked her? What'd she say? She just, she's, she said, of course. 
That's really cool. Now, I, I want to backpedal just a moment before we move on. Mm-hmm. You talked briefly about how you goal set from conference to conference. Mm-hmm. Can you expand on that just so maybe this is a, a tidbit that the listeners can maybe learn from you? Yeah. So what I do at the conferences before I go is I make a list of like my major accomplishments from the previous six months. Like I've been promoted. um, I finished a big project and like, what do I want? Then I sit down and I think about in the next six months, what are my core things that I'm going to focus on? And sometimes it's like, I want to take feedback better and I want to listen and I want to listen more than I talk. And then for that six months, I'll focus on those things. And maybe it's, I want to be promoted to the next level. So then I will focus on those things. I have women in the group who I'm really good friends with and other people who mentor me as well. And I'll tell them what I want to do. And then they'll give me guidance and hold me accountable. That's awesome. Those are the types of things. And I'm talking to the listeners now. These are the types of things that set a a manager apart from a true leader and mentor. I've had this conversation with my previous, I'll say mentor. Uh, mm-hmm. His name is uh, Chad Flowers. And one of the reasons why I moved over to his team is because you get to a point where you don't need managed anymore, Mm-mm. especially if you're if you're you have you're self driven, right? Self motivated. You don't need managed. You need a mentor. And what I realize the best mentors slash managers are are the ones that put you in a position where more is caught than taught. Yeah, where they're not necessarily teaching you directly. It's through observing them that you're catching the lessons, because that's what true mentorship is all about. Mm -hmm. You're observing how to handle things. And you're learning to walk the walk. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's where I've learned the most. Finding those types of people is very difficult. Yeah. Because it's, I'm not saying you can't learn it, but you know the ones that just have it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, you, you can see it. You know, the difference, I think, between a manager and a leader is a manager's going to tell you what to do. A leader's going to show you what to do, and you're going to want to follow them. Yeah, that's very well put. And you want to exceed their expectations. Yeah. Not that you feel like you have to. You want to because you really you feel want a part to. of the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. No, it's true. And and I've had the honor now of, you know, mentoring a couple of people. And one of them I actually met through the female mechanics group on Facebook. And she had posted that she was having trouble getting a job. And I thought, how crazy is it that we have an industry that has a technician shortage and a shortage of talent, at, of young talent? Like, our industry is aging out. I am 51 and I am young for our industry, which is so sad. And she is in her 20s. So I leveraged my professional connections to get her a job. Good for you. And so she got that job and she's moved on to another job now. And 
I sponsored her to come to Women in Auto Care conference. Um, she's young, you know, building her career. And, you know, we have conversations and if she has trouble, she calls me and we kind of bounce things back and forth a lot. And, you know, that is probably more, way more rewarding for me than it is for her. Isn't that interesting mm-hmm. how that works? I always find that interesting where a lot of women, when, when I feature them on this podcast, they're, they're very grateful, like, oh, thank you so much. But I'm sitting there thinking, I feel like I owe you more because I feel like I'm getting more than what I'm yeah. giving you. <laughs> but I guarantee you that's not true. <laughs> oh, man, it, it's, it's so fascinating. And you know what? You brought up a good point that I haven't really thought about, but I, I've heard multiple women talk about how hard it is for them to find a job. And they're they're a technician, a certified technician, just so the listeners, because I have men and women that listen to this, a certified technician, female, and they struggle with finding a job. Yeah, how is that? How how is is there's a shortage in the industry? I also Mm -hmm. see that with painters. Oh, really? Female painters. Yeah, body, auto body. Yeah. Yeah. Auto body painters, yeah. It's a really... Yeah, there's still a lot of misogyny in the industry. Like I said, when I show up and even like when I show up to be a service advisor or service manager, there is a big like proving yourself period that I don't believe men have. I I totally agree with that And I have enough experience now and I'm not afraid like I was in the beginning. I can talk my way into, I can explain why you should hire me, but in the beginning, you know, that maybe you think of it as you're bragging or you're boasting about yourself. It's not. It's like you have to sell yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the greatest skills I ever learned, and my family thought I was kind of crazy, and I ended up doing it for seven or eight years, is I did direct sales. I I worked for Vector Marketing, did in-home direct sales, 100% commission. Those skills that I gained from that, I've been able to apply and use my entire life. Yeah, I think that that is the biggest gift I hope the Femcanic Garage podcast can offer is, yes, brag about yourself. You have to. You have to do it. You have to have a confidence to you that's about double that of a man that walks through the door. Oh, absolutely. So don't sell yourself short. And you are yeah. worth it, period. Yeah. And show up. Just yeah, keep showing and up. just keep doing your thing. So I, I'm just curious, since we're kind of on this topic, Jill, did you ever experience like sexism or homophobia or any type of racism or anything like that? Um, I know you're a white woman, but still. Actually, I'm um, Hispanic. Are you? I, ap- <laughs> I, pe- I apologize. I very white. No, no, I appear white. But I am predominantly Hispanic. I'm just curious. Do you speak fluent Spanish? I don't. My uh, fiance jokes around and calls me a Mexican. <laughs> 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 but you know, I, I I I do appear to be very white. If you see my family, like my mom, uh-huh. looks very Hispanic. But that that gives me privilege. Mm-hmm. And I hate to say that, but my outward appearance gives me privilege and. You know, it's, that's that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> I, I'm glad you said that because that, that's a topic that with some of my guests I'm going to dive into is mm-hmm. the white privilege. Yeah. There is. And yeah. I find it interesting that here, you know, you just said your family looking at pictures appears 
visually more Hispanic than you. And then that that's provided you some privilege that they just didn't have. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. And it's, you know, it's kind of weird to deal with that. You know, like I was out with my mom today and somebody said something and my mom was like, this is my daughter. (laughs) You know, it's like, we do kind of look alike, but she looks very Hispanic and I don't. Because you're a Mexican. Because <laughs> mm-hmm, I'm a Mexican. <laughs> and my mom grew up in a time when, with my grandma, where they, you know, my grandma came from Mexico. And at that time, you didn't own it. You came here and you assimilated. So she, my mom does not speak Spanish either. And it's because my grandmother it, it did not encourage that at all in the home. She wanted them to speak English and she wanted them to blend in. And I get it. And at the same time, it, it kind of saddens me because it's such a rich culture. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. See, my, my partner, she is and her family's from Puerto Rico. Yeah. And I, I have such an affinity and respect for the for all the different cultures. It's so fascinating and interesting to me. And to be able to honor those. Yeah. My children from my previous relationship are biracial. They're half black, uh-huh. half white. And my partner is Hispanic. She's Puerto Rican. Yeah. But there's a Puerto Rican culture where they asked a, a child asked their elders um, for their blessing. So out of respect for their culture, I've taught my kids to say that. Yeah. To Monica's parents. Because it's a respectful thing to do. And yeah. some of some of their own grandchildren didn't even Don't, do when I say yeah. their own, they're like birth grandchildren. Yeah. Um and I I I believe that they have come to to appreciate that. Mm-hmm. It's not that I'm trying to quote unquote make them Puerto Rican or anything like that. It's just It's respecting the culture, yeah. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I feel like that's the ultimate respect I can pay. Yeah. My fiance is um she's a Chilean immigrant. She's a permanent resident, green card holder. She's not a citizen. My son, who's 26, is half Filipino, is very brown. Um, So, you know, I have a lot of respect and a lot of uh, intersection into other cultures and other communities. And I think a lot of times in, in our industry that doesn't exist. I totally agree with you. And I've said it on another episode and I'll say it again because not everyone listens to every episode. Yeah. There's multiple reasons why I do this podcast. One of them is for my son and daughter, and particularly my daughter. It's not just about women being in the industry. It's about creating awareness of how to create a safer environment for women in these industries. Mm-hmm. And not just women, gay men, lesbian, trans people. Mm-hmm. That That's, yeah. it's for everyone. Yeah. And and sometimes it's people of color mm-hmm. where, like what you said, the industry as a whole is very white male dominated. Yes. So have you faced any of those experience in, in your career then? Not so much overtly, but there have been jobs that I should have gotten that I didn't get. <laughs> and I think as a, as a man, I probably would have got it. And I've done some experiments. It's kind of funny where I will not put Jill Trotta on my resume. I will put JD Trotta. And, um, and I've submitted it twice. Fascinating. And 
Jill didn't get a call, but JD did. Wow. Yeah. That's a great experiment. Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, those are my initials. <laughs> right. Which is no different than a male typically using JD, yeah. their initials. Yeah. 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 You know, but I did have an incident um, at a dealership that I worked at where an advisor was hired in and I found out he was making, this happened actually twice. He was making more money than I was and I had more experience and I was just freaking better than he was. Um, and in both cases, the first case I went in and I told, I walked into the owner of the dealership and I was like, this is some shit and you need to take care of it or I will, I'll, I'll make a stink and I'll make a case of it. And he ended up paying me <laughs> and back paying me six months. Good for you. Yeah. And then actually the job before Repair Pal, the final straw was that I found um, one of the other um, assistant service managers left their pay plan out. And again, I'm way more experienced. I'm way better. At this point, I'm writing more service than this person and they're making more money than I did. I went into the service manager's office and showed it to him. And he was like, where'd you get this? And I was like, does it matter? This is wrong. And went back and forth with him. And I ended up quitting and filing with the labor board and recovered back pay. <laughs> and that's kind of really that was the final draw. Like, I mean, it was a shady ass dealership anyway. And their practices were just wrong. And I was kind of, I was on my way out anyway, just trying to figure out what to do. And that was kind of the final straw. Let, let me ask this, Jill, because that, that happens often for women. I, I guess at a high level... What would you tell women? How should they go about doing that? What did you do? Like, I know you summarized it, but if you were to break it down a little more detailed of what you did, can you share if they're in this situation so that they can kind of get an idea of where where do I start? What do I do? I think that when you find out, you need to have a really straightforward conversation. First, you need to make sure that you are more experienced, <laughs> that your numbers so that you have everything in line. Stats and facts. Because mm -hmm. data doesn't lie. You know, the data is the data. So if you go in with just, here's the data. Not, this is how I feel about it. Here's the factual information. No, no, nobody gives a shit about how you feel. It's all about what's real and the data. Like, this is what's true. And you're doing this and it's wrong. So you need to pay me. And, and if they don't, you have recourse. And where do you go for that recourse? You know, you can go to California has a really strong labor board. Um, you can hire private attorneys. But in most cases, they're going to pay you. Because they're afraid of a lawsuit? They're afraid of a lawsuit. And they should be because it's wrong and it's illegal. <laughs> I love it. This has been hugely helpful, Jill. The one thing I do want to say is when you go in there to talk to them, you cannot be emotional. Ooh, that's a good nugget of information. Just straight-faced. I don't care what you have to do. You have to be straight-faced. I, I think I got it from my mother. My mother is a badass. She worked her way up. She, you know, I, I think badass women raise badass women. My mom was badass. I can go in and be completely scared and terrified. You would never know it and be like extremely calm and straightforward and direct. And that's what you have to be. 
if you get emotional, then they're not going to take you seriously. I mean, that sucks, but that's real. That's a great call out, Jill. Yeah. Speak strictly about numbers, data, facts, Mm -hmm. and don't be a crying hot mess because it won't take you seriously. And it's not about how you feel. It's about what's right. Mm, I love it. So if you're ready to launch into the red line round, what it is, it's it's just five rapid fire questions. There's no right or wrong answer to it. Whatever pops into your head first is the right answer. Sure. All right. Who or what has been your inspiration throughout your journey in the industry? My mom, for sure. My mom is just, she worked her way up from nothing to an executive position and she mentored a lot of people and she gained prominence and she lobbied in Washington and she did all that while being a great mom and a great family member and a great friend. And that's what I try to do. She does sound like a badass. Yeah, she is. Did she go out for the Women's March? No. <laughs> no, no. She's she's a little more quiet and subdued than that. But like she is like the silently powerful person. Love it. I have to admit, uh, my partner and I and her sister and nephew, we went out for the Women's March and it was a it was fun. Yeah. Like I, it, it's it's really neat to be part of history like that. That that event will be in history books and probably my grandkids will read about it. Yeah. And you take your children to that. That's amazing. All right. Number two, where do you go or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new or you get stuck? You know, I read a lot of books. Well, I don't read them. I listen to them on Audible. And my CEO, Art Shaw, um, another great mentor of mine, he often suggests books. One of the books that he suggested that I keep going back to is there's a book by Angela Duckworth called Grit. And it is an amazing book and it helps keep me focused. Ooh, I may have to check that out. Yeah, you should check it out. It's a good book. It's a really good book. I also like Simon Sinek, um, and I get a lot of inspiration from him and his books. I especially like Leaders Eat Last. I've heard of that book before. It's a good one. Jill, what excites you most about what you do? I think just the innovation in the industry and the technology and the way everything's evolving is just really powerful. And I think it's important to like, really gain an understanding of it. And that is what excites me. You know, people talk about autonomous cars and how dangerous they are. And it's actually, I think people are more dangerous. And, you know, the cars now can pretty much drive themselves. And then the next evolution is they're going to talk to each other. And like, just thinking about that, that just like drives me. It's like, you know, I have some projects going right now that are tapping into that. And it's so much fun. Oh, that's so cool. Joe, what is a personal habit or practice that has helped you significantly in, in the industry when you feel stuck or discouraged? A personal habit. I think just keep going. And I also make it a habit to stay connected to people that inspire me. Even though sometimes it's intimidating, you think you're bothering them. And I can tell you from personal experience, you know, people will call me and think they're bothering me and they're not. They're actually saving me half the time. 
<laughs> saving you? How so? You know, I may be feeling like down and discouraged and and having a really hard day at work or having a hard problem I'm trying to solve. And I'll get a call from somebody in the industry who's having a hard time as well. And they're reaching out to me and it kind of takes me out of my own little kind of moves like I'm sitting in like my own shit and it makes me move out of it to help them. Mm, Yeah. I I feel that way about this podcast. There's times where I'm in a funk and then I get talking to the ladies in various interviews and I'm like jacked and full of energy afterwards. Exactly. And you feel like, okay, I'm good. I'm going out and I'm going to keep going. I'm ready to go out and kick ass. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. What is your parting advice to other femcanics finding their way in the skilled trades industry? To find a mentor and to find a group of, of like-minded women and just hang on to them and help each other. Don't see other women as your competition. See them as your allies and people who are going to help you get where you're going because they will. We all have crowns, right? Mm-hmm. Joe, how and where can people connect with you? Um, you can just email me at jill at RepairPal. I'm on social media, Jill Trotta, if you look me up. LinkedIn, you can email me through jilltrotta.com. Um, I'm pretty available. And I love hearing from people. You know, a lot of times people are like, I'll get emails and they'll be like, I'm sorry to bother you, but I have a question. And I heard you say this at this trade show, you know, or you, you gave this talk on this. And I was just wondering, you know, you said this, can you help me? And that is like such an honor. The finest form of flattery, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, I always try to help. You know, my life gets really busy and sometimes like I I really want to do things and it, it gets difficult, but I always try. I love it. Jill, thank you so much for being in the driver's seat and sharing your wealth of knowledge with the Femcanic community today. Of course, anytime. And thanks for having me on. It's an honor. Absolutely. Jill Trotta. I am the Vice President of Industry and Sales at RepairPal, and I'm a Femcanic. Iron Maiden Welder is in the driver's seat next. Brenda Stredwick started her company over 10 years ago, playing with and welding junk together to make art and functional pieces of furniture. Learn how this badass woman turned playing with junk into a profitable full-time business. Until next time, Femcanics. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, femcanicgarage.com, for swag and the transcribes for each episode. If you want to help grow this community, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a Femcanic?